0: Bagels and bananas you can pick right off a tree. We got volleyball and ping pong and a lot of dandy. And welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, October 1st, 2023. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses, is now available wherever finer books are sold. Peter has comms at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. So, Peter, just a uh, few days ago, you had uh, for the greater good a reading of your new play starring Dylan Stovall. Uh, How did it go?
1: Uh damn good, actually. Um, I have to say that um, people came up afterwards um, and said a lot of good things. Now, you know, a lot of people do that. They come up mm-hmm. afterwards and they say a quick sentence, figure, <clears throat> so, you know, let me just say something and get the hell out of here. <laughs> Um, but this seemed to me um, more enthusiastic than that. It's a tough play, no question about it. But nevertheless, um people really seem to respond to it and were um quite taken with the um very surprising twist that happens at the end. So um so I think uh Eric Krebs, who's commissioned it for me, um, does seem to be going ahead with it. So I think if we live long enough we'll we'll actually see a production.
0: Wow, that's great. Great to hear. Uh, and, and a star is born in Dylan Stovall from what the rumors were.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, he's really good. So uh, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. Uh, also Peter just broke the news to me that, uh, next week he's not going to be available. He's going to be out in Chicago, not seeing an adaptation of Harry Chapin's The Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon, but something else, right?
1: (laughs) Yes indeed, <laughs> um, yes, indeed, Cat's Cradle, the Kurt Vonnegut novel is being ah. produced in Chicago, and um, it's a favorite novel of mine, and uh so i I really want to go out there ironically enough, I just see a previous uh incarnation in Philadelphia about fifteen twenty twenty five years ago, um which was not good, I'm sorry to say, so I'm hoping that this one will be substantially better and I'm looking forward to reading it again on the plane,
0: okay, excellent. I don't know how you get any reading done on a plane. Oh no! You know, no. It's just it. It it, it it just seems to me like uh, it's all take off, fall asleep, landing.
1: <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, I, I'm going to read. I guarantee you.
0: <laughs> all right. Also with this is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com he is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications you could see his photography work at fellowspotphoto.com hello michael hello michael i, I, I got some i got some emails saying that they wanted a puppy update <laughs> did you did you get a, a different dog did, are you fostering a different dog now yes this one is
2: uh the other one um was so terrified of the city We had to send her to Staten Island.
0: uh, (laughs) Okay, Um, that means something else in Italian families. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: (laughs) but this one is named Pepsi, Uh,
0: and he's uh,
2: he's three months old, and he it took him about a day uh, to acclimatize to the city. Oh, good. uh, Yeah, yeah. So he's uh, it was like flipping a switch. One day he wouldn't he would not walk outside at all. He would just splay himself on the on the ground. (laughs) And then the next day he was trotting down the down the block. So
0: (laughs) oh that's very good to hear. So uh a little housekeeping for us here at Broadway Radio. We are actually recording on Saturday morning, September 30th for the show will be released on October first, Sunday morning, or a Sunday afternoon it'll be released to our to the general public. Our Patreon listeners will get it earlier. Um because Peter's going to be, hopefully, at a table, and we will uh, at the Broadway flea market, and uh, hopefully not rained out. What do you think is uh, the prognosis there? Do you do weather reports, Peter?
1: Well, Dale Badway, who, <clears throat> who runs the Theatre World Awards, uh, tells me the weather's going to be great, and the sooner the better, because, boy, we re- yesterday was going mm-hmm. soon monsoon it was incredible early in the morning so uh as a result um uh, supposedly it's going to pass i hope it does uh we'll see
0: yeah it's uh it it was flood central here on long island so yeah i'm sure, I'm yeah, sure. We were, yeah we were our uh our our basement's flooded our pumps are running all night oh. so uh we're we're bailing out but i mean we're i Ready for it. And it happens all the time. So whenever there's a heavy rain, we flood. So, uh, so that it's not as bad as it sounds. We don't keep anything, you know, worthwhile down in the basement. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I'm hoping that we have good weather tomorrow for the flea market to benefit Broadway cares ed- equity fights aids. And you find some great memorabilia there and you can get a chance to see and say hello to Peter. Uh, at the Theatre World Awards table. So, uh, do you think that they'll have any memorabilia for the original production of Pearly Victorious?
1: (laughs) I don't know about that, but um, certainly um, I expect to see something from Pearly, the musical version that uh, came in 1970. I was at the penultimate... um, preview performance uh way back then and um i knew nothing about this show uh frankly there was no advance sale there were no stars in it it was easy to get tickets so i attended i brought my cute little cassette tape recorder because i knew there would never be an original cast album this time <laughs> you know it, was, it certainly wasn't going to last so um so i surreptitiously taped um which by the way um I know a lot of people have issues with that but I really believe that if indeed um somebody brings in a tape recorder to Hamilton um to save the money on the sea, yeah cut off his hands but for things that aren't going to get recorded um I think it's a very different story because if indeed you know for example uh, the musical the Broadway musical in 1978 79 whenever it was had there been um a cast out and we would have bought it so is there anything wrong with having a tape that uh, you know if if we're denied the um the product itself well anyway so um seeing pearly way back then i knew nothing about it in fact in the opening number welcome up the stairs there was um a lyric about the pearly gates and i thought oh i guess that's what that means (laughs) um you know uh, that just spelling it differently you know so i didn't know there'd be a character named pearly i um even then in 1970 i have to say that i thought some of it was really retro and was not very um complimentary to um african americans and um I i would think that this would be more of a problem now to a degree it is to a degree. There are times in Kenny Leon's productions where there's a bit too much step and fetched um moments. That said um it's very smart of him to start by showing a coat rack on stage with uh, costumes not that this is innovative we've seen this type of thing before but letting the performance come on and be actors first and letting us know that they're doing something presentational is very smart for a property like this because after all this is a, a situation where old captain has been um master down south um, and he's really taking advantage of his sharecroppers they have to buy food from his commissary, so they're essentially spending all their money um, that they've worked so hard to get. Well, anyway, there's an inheritance that uh, a woman was supposed to get, but unfortunately she died. And so as a result, Purley, victorious, uh, Judson, that's his name, <coughs> uh, is going to have a ringer come in. He've, he's found a, a, a young woman who he thinks can pass Uh, for um, the person who's died and he instructs her on everything she needs to know (laughs) uh the, the um the parents the the heritage all the names and she she does it quite dutifully and she 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 is very much in love with him uh she even calls him reverend pearly which indeed is a more accurate uh, title for this show than Pearly Victorious. Um, not that he really is a reverend, but he wants to be a reverend and he wants a church, and that's why he wants this $500 to start a church, and she's going to get it for him. Well, she makes a very, very stupid mistake that even seems hard to believe, but it doesn't do um, Africans, Americans, any favors to suggest that um, the Uh, one of their uh women would make this mistake so i think that's a real problem with the show and there were times that the audience really did groan at lines that really really should be cut um and i i I don't know if the uh davis estate was averse to that or if they really felt that let's do it as it was one of the interesting things i watched the movie the other night before i um there is a movie the movie was called gone uh, gone out of the days um in some releases but pearly victorious is actually the way it's um on the dvd that one can buy hmm. But um, the thing is, um, Gone Are the Days is a song that is sung every now and then by a very Uncle Tomish character. Though I really have to say that um, the actor playing it here is doing a far better job. And this is under Kenny Leon's direction. I mean, we have to give um, credit to Kenny Leon saying, no, 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 no. We're not going to do it that way. Um, Godfrey Cambridge in the original production certainly certainly was uncle thomas to the nth degree but luckily here and it really is a a very very important thing billy eugene jones uh is not playing it as um submissively as indeed godfrey cambridge did so uh that's that's a, a point in the production's favor but nevertheless um There are times when you do think gone are the days, and you might wonder why this property is being uh, revived. That said, Leslie Odom Jr. is phenomenal as pearly and uh one of our all-time favorites Carrie young um is very good as ludy bell gussie Mae jenkins uh the woman who's going to uh perpetrate the ruse another thing i have to say um in the uh, kenny leon's direction um and in conjunction with the actor J. O. sanders much better than in the movie that sorel Brook um did as the old captain, he is so over the top in the movie. It is, it's really, um, ludicrous. I think they really wanted to overdo it back then to, um, really show, uh, that the captain was, uh, it's the best way to go. I mean, he's, he's a cruel man. I mean, there's talk of, bull whipping um people um mm. that go against him uh which is problematic as well but j j o sanders is a real human being which is something that uh indeed uh sorel brooke was not in the movie so so uh, there are assets and liabilities in this production i even think the set does a very nice job of um having a tiny surprise uh at the end I- i'll grant you that um It it wasn't uh, terribly demanding, and I imagine any um, um, scenic design student uh, would be able to uh, figure this out, too. But still, Derek Derek McLean did wind up giving us a a surprise. Funny thing, um, I don't know the original script. I'd love to see the original script because um, the musical starts with a big uh, uh, production number at a funeral, so so does the movie. Of course, it's not an original uh, song. It's a spiritual that they're singing in the movie. But this doesn't have that. And I'm not sure if um, it's in the play or if they decide to do that for the movie and the musical borrow that. I don't know. But nevertheless, it does not start with a funeral. And, you know, frankly, I think that's a good idea because uh, watching the movie the other night, um, and I knew the property, Linda did not. um, She was confused because um, you go from the funeral and there's a flashback in essence, and there was nothing in the movie to indicate that there was a flashback, you know, nothing like six months earlier or something like that, which really would have been very helpful. So Mm -hmm. I think clearing that up um, by not having that scene, which may or may not be in the original, I don't know. um, I think was a good thing. So anyway, pearly's a uh, curiosity and, um, and I think it's very smart of them, astonishingly smart of them to add that subtitle, a non-confederate romp through the cotton patch, which indicates, mm. Hey guys, you know, we're, we're we're out for fun here and um, don't take it too seriously. And I think that's the best way to approach pearly victorious.
0: All right, Michael,
2: what'd you think? Well, um, uh, first of all, Peter, if I could correct you, it's it's Sorel book. Is it? Yeah, B O K. Oh, okay. yeah, oh yeah. I never
1: knew that. Okay.
2: Um, and let's see. Oh, yeah, uh, they did add that subtitle, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> I'm I was just checking that out, and I, I I thought you were wrong about that, but you seem to be absolutely right. Yeah. Um. Well, I think. Uh, oh, by the way, I would I would be willing to bet anything that they added the uh, the funeral scene at the beginning uh for the movie and then uh and then adapted it for the musical because uh just you know in terms of um having a one set play uh mm-hmm. and also uh you know and for the movie they probably did it just because they wanted to open it up sure. and then for the musical obviously it was a perfect sure uh excuse for that amazing production number uh, which I by the way i, I re, uh you can see uh all of Pearly, pearly the, the musical excuse me uh on youtube in quite a good copy um uh so check that out it's with uh it's with a lot of the original cast
1: well l- let me let me uh let me uh, say something here it's funny that um at the beginning of the show um, James mentioned Harry Chapin because that was taped the day that Harry Chapin died not the one thing had to do with the other but I was actually at the taping and I remember driving up to Lehman College uh, where they were doing it and um, hearing on the radio that Harry Chapin had died and um, what was really interesting about the taping was the fact that, uh, Sherman Helmsley played his original role, which I, as I say, I saw in 1970. When he walked on in 1970, there was certainly no entrance applause for the taping. There certainly was, because by that point he had done the Jefferson and become a, had become a household name. So, uh, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, really quite a nice, um, um, experience, um, even though it was clouded by Harry Chapin's unexpected death.
2: Yes, you've mentioned that you were there, and there are some sh- shots of the audience. I tried to spot you, but I couldn't see. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> uh, anyway, Robert Guillaume uh, is the name Indeed, of the film. Right. Yes, yeah. uh, who, who, who was really great in it. And um, uh, Melba Moore recreates her performance as Ludie Bell. And we have our friend um, Brandon Maggart in as old Cap'n. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Don Scardino. Uh, as Charlie Kachapi. So, so it's really, I, I recommend watching it. Anyway, I think it's absolutely fascinating the way this production has been received. Uh, and seeing it presented the way it is, um, and and the script, I'm sure, is... Exactly the same, as you mentioned. Um, so I can only imagine it was intended back then, too, as a very broadly comic satire, almost, uh, filled with stereotypes and caricatures. Now, people can respond to that in different ways. And, I, and I've and i said before, I distinctly remember that when Pearly the Musical opened, that one of the major critics wrote, I hope today's blacks hate Pearly uh-huh. because he wasn't he was responding negatively to the stereotypes and caricatures but um it's it's meant clearly as a satire sort of similar to um to pick one example the book of mormon um uh, you know uh mm-hmm. and and a lot of other things we can think of tv shows um like uh south park and the simpsons and and, and uh, yeah, other some sitcoms uh but it's it's all how you react to it and, and i was also thinking um that it's interesting to compare the reception of this production uh with that of Finian's rainbow when it was revived mm-hmm. and i remember when fin- fin- Finian's rainbow was revived several people took exception to um the Mm. racial content in it and i was trying to think well so what's the what's the main difference and i think the main difference is probably that finian's rainbow was written by a bunch of white guys uh i think that uh the fact that we all know that this was written by Ossie davis maybe it shouldn't make a difference but i think it does because we know obviously uh what his intentions were and Mm. his intentions were to um to make fun of, uh, you know, and satirize these stereotypes and caricatures and whether or not it's completely successful or not, of course, is a matter of opinion. But obviously, many people seem to feel that it is successful in this production. Um, I thought Leslie Odom was Terrific. He had all the charisma that he needed uh, and more. Carrie Young was phenomenal. JO Sanders uh did a great job in a very, very tricky role. Um, there is that moment, I would say most of the play is is very comic and and over the top and satirical, but there is that moment where old captain threatens to whip early, and he even takes the whip off of the wall. Uh, and we have been told that um, the reason that Pearlie hates Old Captain so much is that years before he had actually whipped him. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though we're talking, we should mention we're we're not talking. This does not take place during, uh, uh, you know, the sl- slavery period. This takes place in the in the nineteen fifties or, or or early sixties. Um, I guess early sixties. I guess it's supposed to be when the uh when the original play was produced and that and that was 61 right mhm yeah uh and there is a reference to uh you're watching it and you're wondering maybe well when is this taking place but then there's suddenly a reference to Martin Luther King and you go oh my god um so that's kind of amazing uh, i thought the whole cast the whole rest of the cast was terrific billy eugene jones um heather alicia sims vanessa bell calloway noah robbins is charlie kachapi uh noah pizzic and bill timoney um and yes i thought that kenny leon did a wonderful job and i also uh, i think it was wise to do that little framing device at the beginning with them uh coming on and and taking the costumes off the rack to demonstrate that this is a performative piece uh, and it's not supposed to be naturalistic in any way um uh oh one other very interesting thing i uh, noticed uh, uh old captain of course is a racist with a capital r um and he constantly refers to nigras N-I-G-R-A-S, I guess you would spell it. And uh, it's fascinating to me um, how that does not cause the audience to absolutely gasp and turn away, as would that other very similar N-word. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I just think that's that's fascinating in itself. And and uh, actually, Old Cappen even makes a, a joke about that, because Charlie, his son, is supposed to be a very progressive, uh, you know, young uh, white person who's hopefully representative of the, you know, the future generation. So he's, um, you know, he's, he, he hates his father's racism and all that. And he, and he refers to black people as Negroes, which was the, you know, the acceptable word at that time. Uh, but old captain at one point says, you know, he never learned to pronounce that word right uh so i that's the kind of humor that's that's in pearly victorious and in pearly and i think um it's wonderful to see it work so well for a modern audience i really really had my doubts as to how this was going to go over but you never know and that's part of the fascination of live theater
1: Mm -hmm.
0: all right So, uh, that is, uh, the review for Perler Victorious. It's at the music box. It's, uh, in an open run right now. And I found the video on YouTube that Michael referenced, uh, with Robert Guillaume and Melba Moore and Sherman Helmsley. Uh, and it's in the show notes. So you can check that out if you'd like, Peter, you got up to the Goodspeed Opera House where you saw a production of a new musical called the 12. So tell us about this.
1: In a way it should be called the Eleven, um, uh, because we're talking about the Apostles after um Jesus has been crucified. So in a strange way, this is a sequel to Jesus Christ Superstar and God spell. So uh but that's what it's about. But of course, uh Judas isn't on the premises. Um he has hanged himself, though there is some controversy about whether or not he did that in the show. Um one of the apostles uh takes Credit for uh, killing him, and that becomes some of the conflict in this show. But um <clears throat> the first thing that should be mentioned is that Neil Berg wrote the score, and Neil Berg is um, well, insiders know him from uh, musical versions of My Cousin Vinny, as well as Grumpy Old Men, uh, which has got a number of regional productions, I'm happy to say. But here, he has gone for a, a rock score in the style of both Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell. I don't mean to say derivative. All I mean is it, it is rock music. And so he's really stretched himself here. I mean, it's not a sound I expected from Neil Berg, and it's quite satisfying. The music is very, very good, which I'm happy to say. Um well, every show needs a protagonist and an antagonist, and you have a really great antagonist here, built in with Doubting Thomas, right? And I have to say that Wesley Taylor is sensational as Tom. Yes, one of the funny things of the show, and I think it's a great idea, is that we don't have the names of the apostles as we know them. We have Jimmy, Phil, Matt, you know, Bart—nicknames because. Maybe that's the way they refer to each other. I mean, it makes sense, you know. I mean, the, the, they have such formal names um, in in the original. However, I'm surprised that one is Andrew as opposed to Andy. But anyway, there we have it. Um, so the point is that after jesus is crucified they don't have their leader anymore and um things are just as uh when rift dies the jets are in uh are in disarray as well until of course uh one of them steps forward and becomes the uh the leader but uh who's going to be the leader here i mean they're really scared and who can blame them you know i'm uh you know, as they say, we, we followed him and we, we left everything behind. And, you know, uh, so that's really uh, something. Um, I'm not sure the apostles had guitars, but two of them do. Um, and uh, anyway, this talk about leaving the country. Should we do that? Um, there's a time where they reminisce and remember the good times when uh, Jesus was with them. Uh, there are some anachronistic lines because they talk about Jesus being the real deal. Um they're not in a cave for whatever reason uh the set design uh decided to go um anachronistic as well which was a little surprising to me because there's sort of an um sort of in an industrial area um and uh, they have this you know big door that um uh, they um that opens and closes um you, you know you really have to pull your muscles to have this big industrial style door Um, which what's, what's really interesting to me is that um, that was certainly something the director wanted because the director is John Doyle who also designed the scenery, not only, but also. So, um, so anyway, instead of a cave, that's what they have. So uh, again, all right. So, um, so the direction is very tense I mean, you really get the scared quality of these guys and any moment the Romans are going to come in and uh, kill them. There. So anytime there's a noise from outside, they're very concerned. Um, they're worried for their lives. And of course, two of the visitors who come are both um, Mary Magdalene and um, uh, the Virgin Mary, um, who certainly uh, is um, you know, distraught to say the least uh, with her son dying. Uh, she has a tremendous number um, where she really uh, talks about, sings about uh, what has happened. Um, it really tore the house down, and of course, some of that has to do with uh, Rima Webb delivering it wonderfully. By the way, you know the audience could speed skews um, older, and yet, um, boy, did they respond to this. I'm telling you, uh, the cheers were really rapturous, so um, any talk of um, old people not responding to a rock musical was certainly uh, dispelled here. There's an interesting moment where um, one of the apostles, uh, Jimmy in fact, uh, decides that he wants to marry Mary Magdalene. And she sees dangers in that. I mean, much the way that Oscar and Sweet Charity um later comes on to think, you know, maybe I shouldn't get involved with this woman who has a past. Um, But he, he's, he seems to love her very much. And she seems to resist him, you know, knowing we can tell that she knows that her past is going to catch up with her at some time in an argument. He's going to bring it up. And so she discourages this. And he gets upset and actually says, in essence, he doesn't quite say this, but um, that indeed I'm the only one who'd marry you. You should, uh, you know, take the, I'm the highest bidder. You should really take me. So, um, the irony is that of all the people, um, Mary Magdalene seems to be the, the leader she seems to be taking the bull by the horns. And you really get the impression that here are these guys who are fishermen who are out in the sea um, and essentially loners until Jesus came along. But Mary Magdalene certainly has street smarts, having been on the street for a long time. So that's really well expressed too. um, And I thought that was good. There's a marvelous moment of direction in which um, um, the Virgin Mary is cradling uh, what looks like a baby in her arms is she's reminiscing of when Jesus was a baby and the blanket is there, the swaddling clothes, so to speak, um, and then she lets him drop. I mean, the blanket just falls to the floor and it's such a f- fabulously impressive moment, you know, because we we essentially come to regard that as a baby. I mean, and of course, we know there's no baby in there, but the idea of having it dropped was really something about uh, a, a way of saying that, you know, children go from something you love to something you lose. So um, there's a lot of to- talk about there are terrible dreams these people have um, and who can blame them under the circumstances. Suddenly there's the news that uh, Jesus isn't in the tomb and that's where certainly um the doubting thomas aspect comes in and again whoa Wesley Taylor does the best type of acting because he doesn't seem like he's acting at all it really is a memorable performance peter beats himself up for the three denials he did um there was there's a very interesting line too uh, half the time i loved him meaning jesus and half the time he scared me which um, I think is really quite good. He wanted the impossible. Yeah, I suppose that's true, you know. Um, So, uh, Let's mention Robert Schenken. There's not much dialogue in the show, but obviously some of the structure and the ideas came from him. Robert Schenken, who wrote the wildly underrated Kentucky Cycle, which Hmm. is still one of the greatest moments I've seen in a Broadway stage. And I wish somebody would revive it. I know it's expensive. I get it. It's two parts. It's long, all that um but I, I i would really um hope for a revival someday um and i would certainly go to chicago or anywhere else to see that again so um what's what's interesting is at the end of the show um there's a big spiritual number um we've got to rise up and you really think you you know you're going to see this big uh, and, and it gets short circuited you know um by a naysayer who tells it like it is um who tells the future, and it's not a good one for these guys. You know, uh, (laughs) what happened to these guys in real life, or at least as the Bible tells us, um, or as history tells us, uh, is not a walk in the park by any means. So fascinating show, uh, The Twelve. I don't think it's for everybody, but um, it certainly is for a number of people, as that Goodspeed audience proved. So um, we may see it. Beyond good speed, and I think that would be great.
0: All right, so the twelve up at good speed is running through October 29th, uh, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. You can check it out. Uh, I've long been a fan of uh, Neil Berg and his music, uh, and he I, he he really is. Has uh, got his feet. Pain- Firmly planted in rock and roll as well as musical theater. So it doesn't surprise me that he's got a rock score going here. Uh, and I didn't know I,
1: that.
0: Oh, yeah. So, uh, and he does, uh, he, he travels around the country and around the world doing, uh, concerts of a hundred years on Broadway and yeah, also rock and roll concerts. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Neil and he's uh, married to Rita Harvey, a former Christine and Phantom. And, uh, Neil's played for a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, Broadway softball league teams and things like that and, oh, and bowling and things yeah. like that. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: that's
0: so, great. Uh, all right. And, um, Peter, you were talking about the names of the characters up in yeah. the 12, uh, you know, originally I was going to call our podcast The Twelve because we're Peter, Michael, James, and Matthew. And, uh, That's great. But uh, so Petey, Mickey, and Jim here on a Sunday morning for you. Mickey.
1: <laughs> Nobody ever
0: called me. Nobody ever calls me Jim. You must never call anybody named Michael
1: Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: the monkey. Hey, hey, were the monkeys. <laughs> so, uh, people say we monkey around on Sunday mornings.
1: Yes, Davy Jones, after doing Oliver, did make a monkey of himself, didn't
0: he? Oh, him and – wow. Oliver, he was—he must have been a comedy of terrors. Indeed. Oh, <laughs> oh, Dracula is a comedy of terrors over at the New World stages, and uh, Michael got a chance to see it. So, Michael, give us your review on Dracula, a comedy of terrors. It's a
2: really really great time, and i highly recommend it uh we had we were honored to have Arnie Burton on our podcast a few weeks ago and he's one of the amazing cast uh james daly d a l. y s uh spelled exactly the same as the father of tyne and tim um and also canadian uh plays Dracula but the other four actors um play multiple roles so they're only billed as actor 1 actor 2 actor 3 and actor 4 and they are Andrew Keenan-Bolger Ellen Harvey Arnie uh, Arnie as I previously mentioned and Jordan Boatman uh so it's a real uh tour de force for all those people um I I was especially taken with Ellen Harvey who is a true Broadway veteran uh, she was in present laughter, uh, with Kevin Klein. She was in how to succeed with Daniel Radcliffe. She was in phantom as Madame Giry, uh, music man, thou shalt not, um, off Broadway, big love, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, she was really terrific, um, in, in multiple roles. Uh, the, I, I, I loved it and the audience loved it too. It's it's very very funny in a very um kind of silly jokey way and yet completely thoroughly professional. Uh there's lots of modern references uh as it tells uh, basically tells the uh, traditional Dracula story um that we all know so well but with a, you know with a very modern uh very funny spin on it. Um directed by gordon greenberg and written by gordon greenberg and steve rosen is how it's built here and that's interesting because i'm not sure if they wrote it from scratch or i i had assumed that it was based on the original play uh by hamilton dean and john l balderston uh which served as the basis for the film with bella lugosi and then uh you know, as the basis for, I guess, almost everything that came after that. Um, I, I actually thought, uh, although I did love it overall, I thought in this case that the acting and the direction uh, and the production values were were, were um, better than the actual script in some cases. Uh, but there were sections of it that seemed um, a little kind of dull. And I thought maybe that those were, uh, from the original play and they and they kept them in just to uh you know just to k- tell the story cohesively uh but there is no billing as i say for Balderson and Dean so i'm not i'm not sure about that and i have to find out more um regardless uh i think if you go you will have a really terrific time um uh the audience response was was just amazing uh and the entire cast was brilliant um Daly, James Daly, does something that I think is quite hilarious. He, um, for much of the play or some of the play, he adopts a uh, sort of stereotypical Transylvanian accent like this, you know, Uh, (laughs) but then suddenly he'll start talking like... um, some young gay guy from WeHo or Chelsea. uh, And he keeps slipping back and forth. And actually, one of the comments online that I read about this uh, question, whether or not he was doing that on purpose. Well, I'm sure he's doing that on purpose. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure he could maintain the accent if he wanted to. But uh, he and probably Gordon Greenberg rightly think it's just hysterical for him to slip back and forth. It's very very funny. Also, he is unbelievably good looking. Uh he is his body which is displayed um uh very much so, <laughs> especially in the first scene is uh, as a friend of mine says ripped from the headlines. Uh yeah. and so uh that's another level here because it, it I would say there's a um there's a i would say there's a very gay sensibility uh to this production but not, but not exclusively it uh it just kind of targets a lot of different uh, uh different genres and sensibilities uh so uh, but they uh they definitely play up the sexuality of dracula and and how he's a a predator in that sense um so i i i just think it's wonderful and it's uh by the way great to see andrew keenan bolger um back on stage because i also have always enjoyed him i think he's uh very very talented um which is not surprising considering who Ah. his sibling is celia keenan bolger that that's a very very talented family i i got to interview (laughs) both of them uh together uh, some years ago and that was a, a lot of fun they they really are they're both uh, as charming off stage as they are talented on um and he um i, I think he's been a while since he's been on stage but he's been doing some tv work uh and other things so good for him uh i i highly recommend this show it it's due to run i think through the end of the year and and into into the new year a little bit, um, so at at New World stages, uh, so you have plenty of chance to catch it, and I strongly recommend that you do so. I mentioned the production values, but I should I really should mention them again because it's really quite impressive for an off Broadway show, uh, the, especially the the lighting and the sound and the sound effects uh, and the set. Uh, I, it's it's one of the most impressive shows I've seen at new world stages in that regard. Um, so they really put the money into it and I hope it's a very successful run.
0: Yep. As Michael says, it is playing through January 7th, 2024 at new world stages. And that is uh, Dracula, a comedy of terrors. And we'll have a link to the website in the show notes. And plus you can go back and listen to uh, our interviews, all right. So next up, uh Peter headed down to the Mineta Lane Theater. Is it called the Audible Theater now or the Audible Mineta Lane Theater?
1: Yeah, really Audible certainly um has given us a lot of productions. So God bless uh, Audible. Um the
0: the way in which the press release is written it 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 looked as though it was it says Audible Swing State as though Audible wrote it. But,
1: <laughs> so
0: Peter, you saw Swing State, so tell us who wrote it, and how was it?
1: Rebecca Gilman, uh, who is a terrific playwright, um, I I was, I didn't see, um, originally, I, I missed it, and I don't know why it happened that I missed it, but um, the Boy Gets Girl um, play, which I wound up reading before I um, actually saw it, and I was amazed at, the power of this play. So um, that will always be the benchmark for me. And while I will say that I didn't enjoy Swing State nearly as much as that one, there are certain moments in it that are very, very powerful. But here's the only thing I really want to say about this. Um, There is a moment where um, a a deputy uh, is talking to a woman in her home, an older woman, and she's talking about the fact of what you can order online and um, the older woman expresses such disdain for online shopping (laughs) uh, and endorses the old-fashioned way of getting out and going in stores. And what was so interesting to me is that the audience was silent. Now, there would have been a time when that line would have gotten (laughs) applause or at least a laugh, a chuckle, but Hmm. it was as if the audience was saying, are you crazy? <laughs> online shopping is great what do you you don't you don't do it uh we all do it um you don't that's um I really think um Rebecca Gilman might have expected the audience to laugh and recognition or so some audible reaction <laughs> in that way. it didn't, and that was mm-hmm. the most fascinating moment for me in swing state.
0: <laughs> you know what's interesting about that is that audible is owned by Amazon
1: ah. <laughs> good
0: point it's like fighting uh, the hand that feeds you there you know and uh, so that's swing state at the mineta lane theater through october 28th so you have about a month to get there and as with pretty previous audible theater shows at the mineta lane audible re- will record and release swing state as an audible original extending its reach to millions of listeners around the world
1: What's they really nice is, Broadway um, Radio
0: has been brought to you by Audible.
1: It hasn't. Yeah. Just <laughs> What's really nice about that is that, um that when they started doing this, there were one person shows. mean, one can understand one person shows um as recordings. Uh but suddenly there was a long day's journey in tonight edited, I'll grant you. But uh here we are getting plays as opposed to one person shows um being recorded, and that's really good.
0: Uh I'm trying to think there was a a cast recording of a play on Bruce Kimmel's old label that I can't Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was
1: it proof or what was he, it? I know he did Beyond Therapy.
0: Beyond Therapy there.
1: Yeah, Christopher so, Brangman.
0: So yeah, it's a very,
1: uh, nice it, very nice recording.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right. So uh Michael, you headed uh, down south, and by down south, I mean into Chelsea uh, mm-hmm. to see George Criss at Chelsea Table and Stage. So tell us about this.
2: Oh, he did a terrific show on September 23rd. Uh, George is a Canadian uh, performer. And let's see, he uh, is uh, most recently starred as Jason DeVito in Hallmark's uh, The Holiday Sitter. Alongside Jonathan Bennett, making history as the network's first ever LGBTQ plus lead rom com, uh, as a musician, theater artist, and actor, George has been had the pleasure of performing for audiences across Canada and the U.S. Notable credits also include starring as Rocky in the Stratford Festival's record-breaking production of The Rocky Horror Show, Tommy Albright in the Shaw Festival's production of Brigadoon, and he was a recipient of the musical stage company's Banks Prize award for theater artists um he is really great he's one of those people who is uh, so good looking that he probably be would be successful if he were less talented but uh, to look at it the other way, his, he's so talented and his voice is so beautiful that he would probably be successful, even if he wasn't so good-looking. Uh, so it was a really great show. He had guested um, uh, singing a couple of songs in uh, one of Steven Brinberg's shows at Chelsea's Table and Stage um, several months ago. And he fell in love with The Room, which really is beautiful, if you haven't been there Um it's it's really uh, gorgeous it's got tremendously high ceilings it's got this amazing entrance uh to the room down a a curved staircase where you can really make an entrance if you want to uh whether or not whether or not you're starring <laughs> in the show <laughs> you know? um you have to go uh see something there just to if only to take in the room so wait till somebody uh you really like us there, and and I highly, highly recommend it. What's the address, um, Michael? It's uh, um, it's well, it's in. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I don't have it.
0: Okay, one fifty two West Twenty Six. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's right by FIT. Um uh-huh.
1: ah. mm. and
2: and quite close to the uh, uh, to the t- t- well, really the twenty third or the twenty eighth Street stop uh,
0: mm-hmm. on on the uh, number one train. Uh, which is what I took. Uh so George. The did a- the, uh it says here in the Google it's in the Hilton Fashion District Hotel. Is it in the hotel lobby or yes.
2: Uh no. Well, you walk into the hotel and then it's actually down uh down the staircase. Okay you take the staircase down to it. Um but as I said, that this it's the most spacious room I've ever seen. That the ceilings are so high. Um, wow. and it, yeah. you, you don't get that claustrophobic feeling that you get in some of the other cabaret rooms. Uh, so, uh, and, and now they have a, um, it used to be a little hard to find it actually, frankly, but now they have, uh, on the, on the glass doors in front of the hotel, they have added, uh, uh in huge letters Chelsea table <laughs> stage. Uh so you won't be able to to miss it. Uh George did a fantastic program. Very, very eclectic. He, he did everything from um almost like being in love, uh which I said he as I said he played that role of Tommy Albred and mm-hmm. Brigadoon. He did the uh, the way you look tonight, that beautiful song, Jerome Kern song from Swing Time. Uh but then he, uh you know he did things like Elton John's Your Song um, he had some guest artists and with one of them he sang a duet of Love is an open door from Frozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh he did a Stephen Lynch comedy song. <laughs> uh very, very, very um eclectic program. And uh one specific thing he did, which I thought was so fantastic, uh, you know, uh what do you do when you want to sing a a a very, very well-known song? Uh, And you don't want to, you know, you don't want to distort it, but you want to make it your own somehow. How do you do that? Well, they uh, he and his brilliant musical director, Christopher Denny, uh, did that with Something's Coming from West Side Story. And in the most simple way possible, um, it started out with George singing almost a cappella, around the corner or whistling down the river come on deliver to me and then it went into da 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 and then he sang the rest of the song uh and just putting that bridge uh at the beginning there um just made you know it just made you hear it in a different way and it was just really a very smart smart creative thing to do um so it was a lovely evening i'm happy to uh, uh report that it was packed um George, I know, uh, himself was a little worried about that because he's really much better known in Canada than here. But uh, wherever they came from, people came out for it, <laughs> and they all seemed to really love it. So uh, I'm sure you're going to see and hear him again in the city. You should definitely put him on your radar. It's uh, By the way, it's George, K-R-I-S-S-A.
0: All right. So... uh into the Hilton Hotel in the Fashion District downstairs, uh, you would think they'd have a direct entrance to the number one train <laughs> slash uh, waterfall jet ski entrance there.
2: Maybe that's coming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, the number one was underwater yesterday. It was. It was was that was that train affected? All the, uh, yeah, a lot of the trains were flooded yesterday, seeing incredible videos of the uh, big storm that came up uh, through New York. But uh, (laughs) as far as I understand, all the Broadway shows played.
1: Yeah, I haven't heard otherwise. Um, Ironically enough, I did get an email yesterday from one of the cast members of um, Pearly uh, who said that there was water in the um, um, area, uh, the downstairs where the restrooms are. Mm. Uh, But when I got there, there was not a sign of that whatsoever. So the vacuum cleaners really did a good job. Mm. Mm.
0: All right. So, uh, Peter, you were in the 36th Street area where you got to the 36th Street Theater and saw The Jester's Wife. So tell us about it.
1: Well, this is uh, ostensibly a comedy and um I'm sorry to say um that I have to use the word ostensibly. And um it, it it's based on a 16th century story about a an Irish saint. Um <clears throat> but um the playwright who is also directed, uh, his name is TJ or her name, I don't know, TJ Elliot. Um obviously um finds mirth in this um let's put it this way it's 95 minutes long and i would say there was a laugh every 10 minutes and only two of the um laughs were of any
0: consequence yeah yeah
1: (laughs) yeah I, i started listening for that because the audience was amazingly silent but the reason i want to mention it is because steve weatherby playing the jester and emma taylor miller playing the wife works so hard to get laughs so hard they are knocking themselves out and what i want to say is i have no idea if these people have representation but agents if you're listening get down to the 36th street theater and see steve weatherby and emmy taylor miller (sighs) Uh, terrific comic timing i just wish they had the material and someday they will That'll be great. Um, I hate to just mention those two because it's a three person cast and Xander Jackson is very fine in a supporting role. But obviously in a play called the jester's wife, you're going to have the jester and his wife have, um, <laughs> the majority of the lines and situations. And even though I found um, I, I didn't even laugh one of those every uh, 10 minute things, um, never laughed once. I don't think I even smiled once. I, but I was in awe of what they were capable of doing. And I really do believe they're going to have a tremendous future. So agents get down there now, you know, get that 10 or 15% because these people are going to really be something someday.
0: Okay. So that's the Jester's wife, uh, at the 36th street theater. I have a link to that in the show notes in the, uh, in the news, we got some news from over the pond that, uh, uh My- Michael Gambon the uh, Olivier winner and founding member of the National has passed away at the age of 82 and uh he didn't have a ton of Broadway credits but uh, most of the rest of the world knows him as Dumbledore in the Harry Potter films uh and uh Ben Brantley wrote quite uh quite a, a tribute to him in the times so oh, I just want see that to, thank you thanks yeah so uh so the the Brantley review I'll put in the show notes. Uh, Michael Peter, any words to say about Mr. Gambone?
1: Well, I only saw him in Skylight, um, which Michael tells me was his only Broadway credit. But there he played such a narcissist. I mean, I still, could, I this was a long time <laughs> ago already, and I still ninety six
2: nineteen ninety six.
1: Look at that! Look wow. at that! That's something. Mm-hmm. Um, So as a result, I mean, I still have such visual memories of him. Well, it's, it's about, um, a woman who, um, used to have him as a lover and he's been, she really assumed he was gone forever out of her life. And suddenly one night he bangs on their door and the idea of, Oh my God, he's back in my life again. Oh, this is going to be so hard because she has trouble resisting him. He still has a power over her, him because he um over her, because he is so charismatic, and you really needed a charismatic actor to, to pull this off, and Michael Gambon did tremendous performance,
2: yeah, he hey. was really terrific in that and and that's also the only thing I ever saw him, and he did a great deal of stage work in london um before apparently uh, I'm just reading up on him he some years ago he began to uh have a problem remembering lines so apparently he dialed down his uh his stage career in in favor of film and uh and well Harry Potter is one of the, <laughs> one mm-hmm. of the results uh so uh, he'll obviously be always remembered and uh, i guess attained a sort of immortality with mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. but um but a terrific stage actor and I, I remember one of his uh major roles that he got a tremendous amount of praise for was that he played Eddie Carbone in A View from the Bridge in London. Mm -hmm. uh, And apparently he was just fantastic in that. I would have loved to see that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: All right. So that wraps it up for this week. Before we get on to trivia and the musical moments, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of Broadway radio.com. There's a subscribe link that way, each and every time we have a new episode of this week on Broadway, be automatically downloaded to Apple podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to get us an Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. You can get us through Patreon P A T R E O N. So patreon.com slash Broadway radio uh, and if you sign up there, you can support Broadway Radio and all our offerings and all the new podcasts and different, uh, benefits that, um, Matt and Grace have been putting out in the last couple of weeks that have been a lot of fun. So check that out. You can listen to us in Spotify, iHeartRadio, tune in Pandora. Pandora is the new Stitcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is the new Stitcher. That's right. And Google Play. And I just heard that Google Play is transitioning to be YouTube podcasts. So if you're listening to us through Google Play, eventually you're going to have to listen to us through YouTube podcasts. So mm-hmm. uh co- contact information for Peter, for Michael, and me are in the show notes. And what else? I guess that's it. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia?
1: Listen to any cast album of Once Upon a Mattress, and in one of its songs, you'll hear two consecutive words that just happened to be the name of a Broadway musical that closed the day the reviews came out. What was it? Was the song in which it just happened to be mentioned? The musical Hurry, Harry opened on October 12, 1972, and closed on October 13, 1972. In Once Upon a Mattress's song, In a Little While, Lady Larkin urges her beau to hurry, Harry in finding a princess so they can wed before she delivers their child. Paul Witte was the first to get it, followed by Tony Janicki, J. Aubrey Jones, Sean Logan, and Brigadoon at Brigadood, and that was it. So this was a tough one. Let's see if this one's going to be any easier. In this Tony-winning musical from the last century, this Tony-nominated performer played a character who was in love, but not for long, with a young lass. Her character's first name was spelled the same as this performer's actual last name. In other words, let's pretend the performer in Hamilton, who was in love with Eliza, was named Lynn Manuel, E-L-I-Z-A. That's the type of thing I'm looking for. <laughs> so um, we'll see if you can get the name of the performer, the character's name to the spell the same. We'll see. And the Tony winning musical in which they appeared.
0: Okay. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at com. Let you know if you're on the right track. Of course, uh, this trivia question is in the show notes as well. So you can check it out there if you need more clarity. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment?
2: Well, if I may, I'd like to pay tribute to Marion Spirago, who was uh, uh, not my very first director. But uh, I always think of her in that way because she was... Uh, She directed me in the first high school show in which I had any kind of a role, uh, which was Andrew Carnes in Oklahoma. Um, She was a very wonderful, talented woman who uh, directed and musical-directed many shows for many years at a place called St. John Villa Academy on Staten Island. And this was again, one of those situations where it was a girls Catholic school. Uh And I attended Monsignor Farrell high school, which is a boys Catholic school, high school. And uh, the boys from one school would go to be in the shows at the girls school and vice versa. Uh, and that's how we did all those musicals. So there were a lot of shows going on because <laughs> there were um several several uh, high schools that Catholic high schools that were all male or all female. And there was that, that uh, uh, that what would you call it? That exchange there that happened for many years. Um, so I remember uh, she gave me my first role, which was Andrew Carnes in the farm in uh, Oklahoma. And I remember uh, I, I must've done okay at the audition singing, a farmer and the cowman because she cast me but then i remember um uh, this was so long ago at that point i owned only the soundtrack recording of oklahoma i didn't have the original cast and actually at that point that song wasn't even on the original cast album because it had been recorded for the second volume and it wasn't added back to the lp or the cd until later anyway um so in the movie, uh, that song is in a much lower key, and I got used to that. And when I, we we went to start rehearsal, I had trouble singing it. And I remember she was a little shocked at first, but she really was very encouraging to me and helped me um, to 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 get it uh, to sing it in the key in which it's written. And it really is quite high if you if you listen to it on the cast album where it has been restored to now. Um, so that was uh, one great memory of Oklahoma. Uh, the other one, as I've told before, is that um, I'll never forget. One night we were in the in the uh, scene where uh, Curly and Judd fight, and Judd um, falls on his own knife and and is killed. And there's actually a line where Curly says, "You know, just to make sure the audience gets it, um, he fell on his own knife." stuck clean through the ribs so this like this very tense moment on stage and all the all these high school kids are standing there acting you know their hearts out and very tense moment and from the fourth row we hear some woman say he fell on his own knife <laughs> <laughs> so um and then you see uh the guy played judd you see his body start shaking even though he's supposed to be dead because he was laughing so hard <laughs> anyway that was my memory of that and then we did um uh two other shows uh she uh cast me as Moodface martin in anything goes and luther billis in south pacific uh and it was really you know i mean uh as many of us do i look back on those times as some of the most fun and wonderful and rewarding times of my life and it really got me started um in uh my appreciation of musical theater which obviously has continued so i, I really do w-
0: w- w-
2: want to tribute her and, and thank her for all that she did for all of those kids all over all those years uh you know stephen sondheim i've often quoted as saying that teaching is a sacred profession and uh and i think that she was a perfect example of that uh, when you think of all the um, people whose lives she affected in a very positive way and and helping them have an appreciation for that, you know, for that art form. So uh, our opener, um, I, I do have, uh, and please forgive the sound quality, uh, also maybe the performances, but <laughs> I have audio recordings of, of some of these shows. So our opener is... Um, An excerpt from There is Nothing Like a Dame uh, from South Pacific, which we did in 1975. And the closer is a bit of friendship from Anything Goes, which we did at St. John Villa Academy in 1974. uh, And I hope you get a kick out of those.
0: (laughs) <clears throat> All right. So on behalf of uh, Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye.